There is a name I According to Matthew chapter 4. The Gospel according to Matthew chapter 4. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, I want to turn your attention to verses. 23 through 25. If you have it, say amen. If you don't, say wait a minute. Amen. 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 The gospel according to Matthew, chapter 4. Starting at verse 23, we find these words. And Jesus went 
about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments. And those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Verse 25, great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. And we are now going back into our series of lessons after a break during our Palm Sunday and Easter season. But we're going back to our series on Jesus. The making, the mind, and the ministry. Jesus, the making, the mind, and ministry. And today our lesson will be titled, The Ministry Mosaic. The Ministry Mosaic. When we start to shine the spotlight here on this particular text, we must look at it in its context. One of the things that we would like to review over is what happened preceding this text. Jesus was calling his disciples. And we found that they were leaving their professions. And some as much as leaving not only their professions, but their family too. And the text reads much like Mark with me read in immediacy that they immediately left their nets, their boats, their fathers in the boats. I mean, they left in a hurry to follow Jesus. Almost as if they had no thought about what they had been doing all these years and the ramifications of it because they saw the call of Jesus being preeminent and above all things and they moved Immediately. So when they moved immediately, we found them on a journey. Following the master, learning from the things that the master was saying and doing. I want to put a pen right here for a minute, saints of God. If we are going to truly be disciples of Christ, we have to truly follow him. We've got to find out what he said and what he did. And not only just do it as an academic exercise, but learn from it so that we can apply it ourselves. So as we begin to look at the text, we find that Jesus went about all of Galilee teaching in their synagogues. First of all, we find Jesus where the religious folks were. Mm. 
First of all, we find them where the people who acknowledge that the law is good and that going through the law and doing the, the ceremonial and ritualistic law according to the commandments of God is good. We find them in the synagogue forsaking not assembly and there is Jesus. Oh, yeah. Jesus taking opportunity on the Sabbath to teach. Wow. So we find him here teaching in the synagogue to those who are supposed to be a part of the commonwealth of Israel. This lets us know that if we're going to be part of the ministry mosaic, teaching has to be part of that. I know there's these spinoff churches that call themselves churches sometimes, and they have all but done away with teaching. And they have found themselves doing nothing but celebrating. But we see here today that part of the mind of God and the ministry of Jesus was teaching. Because in teaching, the saints are edified. Within teaching, they learn more of him. And through the word, we are enriched, we are grown, we are healed, we are strengthened, we are edified. Can't happen without teaching. But then we look at our text and we see that he also was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Somebody might say, what is the difference between teaching and preaching? Good teaching can, can, can exist without preaching, but good preaching cannot exist without teaching. But the focus of preaching is a focus of evangelism, a focus of heralding the good news of Jesus Christ for those to know that on the outside that they can come in. And there's a gate called Jesus in which they can come. They need to first hear the good news, the ultimate clarion call first to discipleship, to be called to be part of the family of God, and then they will be ready to receive teaching. Because as we learned in our Sunday school lesson this morning, that if God does not unlock your understanding, you cannot understand his word. And for whatever reason, God unlocks minds after they confess faith in Jesus Christ. After they give their life to him, then he starts a process of unlocking their mind so that they can receive the revelation of God, so they can be edified in God and start to do the work of God. Amen? Amen. So we got preaching. But then the text goes on to say that after preaching the gospel and healing of all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. There is healing in the land. There is a power above all power that has the ability to heal the sick and raise the dead. And for the believer in Christ, it is our duty as those who are vessels being used by the Lord to bring them to the healer. We talked about in Sunday school, as, as the text talked about, by our stripes we are healed. We understand that that text is talking about the spiritual healing, but we know that the master can heal himself. He has shown himself to be that kind of God. And he wasn't just healing back then, he's still healing today. 
If we pray believing to the Father to do a sin to healing, he can heal. And we have seen time and time again in our families of the healing power of Jesus. So in the ministry of Mosaic, we have teaching, preaching, and healing. But if we are to really experience and see the power of God in this threefold ministry, we've got to follow him. See, it's important that we put down some things like the disciples did so that we can get to a place where we can see Jesus at work. But if we don't get in the way and we don't get on the road, then we won't see anything. So now we see in our text that we're moving to a stage that there is very good instruction as it relates to Jesus and his ministry, Mosaic. Look at verse 24. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, And he healed them. The healing ministry of Jesus. I want to contend to you today that when needs are getting met, the word gets out. If you want the word to get out about something, start meeting some needs. Jesus was not about sitting up and jockeying for position, but he was about meeting needs. And he wasn't about just meeting the needs of those who looked like him, who those who talked like him. But the text says people from all of Syria. You must realize that there were Gentiles and Jews alike in Syria. That Roman province of Syria. There was a mixed mash of all kinds of people. But we see that Jesus didn't care anything about their ethnic background. He didn't care anything about their biological descendancy. He didn't care anything about their membership to the synagogue. But he healed them. I want to encourage you and to contend that Jesus is saying something strong to us as well. And that is ministry can get messy. It's not going to stay if it's done right. Smooth where everybody knows how to operate within the context of the assembly, Mm. that everybody knows how to dress. There are going to be some folks coughing. There are going to be some folks limping. There are going to be some folks drunk. There are going to be some folks convulsing. Mm. There's going to be all kinds of things going on when ministry is being in full effect. And so when we look at our lives As a body, as a local body of Christ, we must then examine what our ministry is doing. 
We must examine and take a good hard look at how messy our ministry is. We got to take a good hard look at how messed up our pews get. We got to take a good hard look at how uncomfortable we get about those who are not like us. Those who have not been brought up in the church or those who have not had time to learn the church ease but don't know anything about how to conduct themselves in the house of God. I'm telling you, it gets messy. These folks had all manner of disease. Look at the text. It says not only were they sick, but they were afflicted with various diseases and torments. Now we talk about sick as something temporary, but maybe very uh, um, <coughs> tragic or very um, uh, dire, but yet temporary. He healed them, but those who have been sick a long time, yeah. those who may have chronic diseases, they needed to be healed too. Those who were born in affliction, those who from birth had been doing things that they shouldn't do. That was not according to how normal people do it. We look at our text. We also see not only that, but we see as well that some of them were demon possessed. Not only did they have issue with their physical infirmities, but some of them were dealing with demon possession. Demon possession is a real thing. Because what we realize is that folk who do not have Jesus in their life have a great void that is open for demons to come in. And so there are people walking around who are possessed by demons. Those demons have control of them and they need Jesus. They need the one who has the power to say, come up out of them. But he is sending that word through his vessels. He is sending that word through us. Effective ministry is messy. But I see something else here that Pastor Britton also prayed about at the altar call. And that is... Everything that has a mental characteristic of being odd and strange does not necessarily have to be demon possession. He prayed for mental illness. That is a physical problem. It's psychological, but it's physical to the brain. And that we must not carry that out and look at every mental oddity as if it's somebody demon possessed. But still we've got to meet the needs of those who have mental illness as well. So that's a clarion call to the church to be equipped. Not to just be church goers but be skilled in other areas as well. We are a body for a reason and that we to have at least knowledge of how to redirect and to get the proper resources for whatever ills that come. And so when Jesus walked the earth, he could do it all in him and now he lives through us. He said, greater works than these ye shall do. Do not marvel. Mm -hmm. 
Because now he lives in us by the Holy Spirit and each one of us can be gifted and skilled in some area to meet some need. I'm not so much concerned about a mega church than a mega ministry. And a mega ministry can be made with a few people. If those few people are dedicated to doing the work of the master. But in order to do the work of the master, it's continually to call for a sacrifice. And we're not going to be able to get to that point where Jesus wants us to be unless we put down some things so we can pick some other things up. There is a reality that many of the things that we hold dear and important today is going to burn up in the fire. There are many activities, there are many things that we are caught up in in memberships that are not going to enter the kingdom of God. But there's one thing for sure, the things that we do for Christ shall last. The ministry we do to folks that their hearts are fixed and their minds are regulated and that their bodies, souls, and minds are caught up in Jesus will have everlasting value. But we must look at We must itemize and determine what has lasting value in our lives. We must see all of the things in our lives and find out what we must sacrifice in order to put the things that are internal in the place of those things which are temporary. It's a simple task, but it's not easy. Because the world is set up to get us caught up in things that don't go up. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. But we got to be careful to discern and find out where we need to sacrifice so that we can pick up the things of Christ. When we look at this text, I see something else. And what I see is in all of Syria. Syria was a Roman province. Syria was created by Rome to muddy the lines of the nations in which it conquered. So in Pacific, or in specifics here, as it relates to Israel, Syria is part of a province that was designed to muddle the national lines of Israel. Because the Romans knew if they could break down the national lines, that the Israelites would lose their identity, then they would have control. Amen. Are y'all listening? We live in a culture that's designed to muddy the lines of Christianity. We live in a culture that's continuing to eat up more and more of that which we call Christian religion. There was a time when this country would look at itself as a Christian nation. But the national lines have been torn down. Even our president today has said that I am glad that we don't call ourselves a Christian nation. I love our president. I'm glad we got a black man in there. But I heard this for myself. And see, Christianity doesn't have a color. See, Uh amen. And the devil don't either. And he'll use and do whatever he needs to do yeah. to try to destroy the kingdom of God. Yeah. Now, now, when we think about that for a minute, Roman control, breaking down the national lines of Israel, renaming Judah 
to Judea and adding in Samaria and make some twists and turns with Galilee and Israel and, and Neptali and Dan and all of this and turning it into Syria. Eventually they would rename it um, Judea Palestinia, which would then combine Syria and Judea. Now the lines are really muddy. Now it's real muddy and hard to see. Well, let me come to our contemporary context and look at this for a minute. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, almost everything was shut down on Sunday. All businesses were shut down. I mean, you couldn't go to the local convenience store because it was closed. Couldn't go to Kmart or couldn't go to JCPenney's or TGNY or any of them places. They were closed on Sunday. And every time you got to Sunday and you saw closed, you knew why. You knew that Sunday was holy. That Sunday had been set apart for folks to be at church. And that they believed that no works had been done on Sunday. Now even they, even though it wasn't a Sabbath because the Sabbath was Saturday. They still held it holy. They held that resurrection day. They held that Sunday holy. They kept pointing us back to Jesus Christ. And there was no events on Wednesday night either. I didn't run any track meets or play any basketball day, basketball games on Wednesday. Basketball games was on Tuesday and Thursday. Track meets were on Saturday. Football games were on Friday nights. It wasn't any muddling, wasn't any messing with Wednesday night and Sunday. But now look at our culture. Now look at our nation. I'm seeing more and more sports activities on Sunday. From the little peewees all the way up to the high schoolers. Amen. On Sunday. Our parents can't be at church because they're running their children around to games on Sunday. Can't be the Bible study because they got to be at some extracurricular event on Wednesday. But do you see the devil's work? Do you see how, just like Rome did, breaking down the national lines, that Satan is trying to break down the kingdom line? Trying to break down the thought of the people of God to then put other priorities on things that won't last. If we ain't thinking about the Lord or the things of God, Mm. Satan has won. Satan has gotten us to the place where now we're thinking about sporting events and Mm -hmm. cheerleading contests Then we're thinking about the Lord. Barely can come to church for Sunday morning service. No, no Sunday school. No BTU. When I was growing up, we was at church all day long. I mean, you didn't know nothing else but going to Sunday school, going to church, eating, and coming right on back for afternoon, then into evening. Amen. I didn't like it very much because I was unsaved, but now looking back as a believer, I see that that worked for my good. But now we're living in a generation that doesn't know anything about that. Mm-hmm. Because the lines have been muddled. 
The enemy is in there trying to get control by breaking down the nationalistic lines, if you will, of the Christian church. Trying to break it down for the kingdom so that we don't think kingdom, but we think culture. See, the culture is not our friend. The culture is our enemy, Sister Pimmon. The culture constantly is telling us that right is wrong and wrong is right. They keep saying that the things that was most important to the church should fall farther and farther down on the priority list. A culture that's trying to muddy the lines of the Christian church. But we must become aware and come up out of our sleep As Pastor Britton, when he preached, we need to wake up. We need to get alert and start to realizing what's happening to us. Because as Dr. Martin Luther King said, it's the phenomenon of gradualism that gets us. It doesn't happen all at once, but it happens a little bit at a time. And before you know it, you are faithful doing the Lord's work every week and then a little bit. You had to be a little late because of something, an event somewhere or something. And then it becomes, well, if I'm going to be late, I won't come at all. And then when I don't come at all, I get comfortable in not coming and now it becomes a fleeting thought. Now you pick up the phone and you call somebody that you know and you say, where are they? I don't understand why they are not answering the phone, but they're at church. But you have forgotten because gradualism has gradually erased it from your mind. Be careful of this enemy of gradualism. That is a tool of the enemy to convince us to not do the things of God. To put those things that are temporary First, and those that are eternal last. He likes to flip things upside down. I continue to say that the kingdom of God is 180 degrees opposite of the kingdom of this world. But as I come to a close and we look at our final verse, great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Galilee, his place where his ministry had first begun, Capernaum, in those areas, they were following him because he met their needs. If we want to see this ministry grow with people in the messiness of life, we've got to start meeting needs. It's the only way that the word goes out because there is a world that is hurting and is in need of so many things. Especially spiritual things. There are folks trying to find happiness in all kinds of things. And they're ending up with nothing at all. Some people are running out and they need a way out of no way. And that's why God has left his church. But we see in this text not only that, but Decapolis. Decapolis means ten cities. So we see Jesus just all over the place. The word has spread and he's everywhere with that word. And folks of all nations, all nationalities, ethnic backgrounds, languages and everything are coming to Jesus. 
The church is not ethnic centric. The church is not color centric. The church is not language centric. The church is inclusive, not exclusive. And we see this in our story. We see also that in Jerusalem, he didn't forget his own. He dealt with them as well. Mm -hmm. And they came because they need needs too. See, people have the mistaken thought that the folks inside the church are perfect and the one outside are not. But we're all in a hospital. Mm -hmm. We all got infirmities. We all got stuff that need to be healed. And we come here every week in order to find our healing. And all we're saying to the world is you come on with me. I know a man who's got the power to heal. Why don't you come with me and let me introduce you to Jesus. Let me show you how I was sick. I was down and out and I couldn't walk, but he healed me. One day I couldn't walk at all. I was a paralytic, but now I'm walking. I've got, still got uh, frailties. I still got problems, but I'm walking now. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you rise, take up your bed, and walk, yeah. and come to Jesus? Jesus is able to do just that for those inside and out. But look at our text as well. We see Judea and beyond the Jordan. When we talk about Judea, we know that's in the southernmost part, and that is where Judah is, but now the Roman province, Judea, has kind of muddled the line. But yet in the same way, we can still see Judah in the midst. But then he says, beyond the Jordan. Beyond the Jordan, over, in the, uh, uh, over into Arabia, over on the other side, where a whole different set of folks are. Even they heard and they follow him. See, there's some folks on the other side that's not like us and don't speak like we do. There's some folks that do a whole lot of cussing and a few regular words. But they need to follow Jesus too. And it is our responsibility to reach out into all the cities even beyond the Jordan. To get outside and Reach out to those who don't speak like we do. That those who use four letter words on a constant basis. That are offensive to us, but yet he wants us to go outside. He wants us to get to them who need to know of the reality of a true and living God. Outside. He wants us to Put down our nets. Put down things that are not eternal. And start to prioritize the things of God. There's a little boy out there who has no home and has no hope. But Jesus died one Friday for that little boy. And he's looking for you and for me to tell him of the good news. That he can have hope against our hope. There's a little girl out there who's selling her body because she believes there's no other way. 
But she needs to know that Jesus Christ is the way. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That there is another way that she doesn't have to do the things that are against the will of God. There's a woman and a man out there who's doing what they think they need to do to take care of their families. They think they need to steal and need to connive. But it is our responsibility to let them know that you don't have to live that way anymore. That there is a man who has all power in his hand. There is a man that the earth is his. There is a man and the fullness thereof. There is a man and they that dwell in it. And his name is Jesus. That he died one Friday evening. He was on that cross from the third to the ninth hour. Dying for the sins of you and me. And then they took him down off that old rugged cross. And they put him in a mortal tomb. And that after three days, he rose from the grave with all power in his hand. And this Jesus died, but he yet lives. And he lives to take care of the needs that you have. If you just come and give them to him. That's why we're here today is to tell the world of the good news of Jesus Christ. And after a 40 day layover, he stepped out on a cloud and went back to glory. But one of these days, and it won't be very long, he's coming back for a church without spot or blemish. When he comes, will he find you faithful? It is my prayer and hope that we be about the work while it is yet day. Because when night cometh, no man can work. The doors of the church are open. Amen. Amen. Right now, if there's someone here who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, have not confessed their sins to the Lord, and said, Lord, have mercy. Forgive me of my sins. And come into my heart. You can get to know him today. He paid a price that you could not pay. And it now won't cost you anything because he paid it all. But you got to give your heart, your soul, your mind. You got to give all of yourself to Jesus. And he'll give all of himself to you. He will save your soul and he will make you brand new. Well, Why don't you come today? Hallelujah. There is room at the cross for you. There
Amen. Amen. None came, but there's still plenty of good room. Amen.